Everybody and welcome back to Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. I'm Sam Wilson. Joining me as always, Zach Schneider and Liz Tory. Today we're going to be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Hey, Guardians Three just came out, so we're going to go ahead and review the second one. Looking back on this movie in preparation for seeing the new one, which is out this weekend. So spoilers are going to be ahead for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Uh, everybody excited for Guardians 3? Yeah, it's gonna be... Oh, I can't wait! Yes! Oh my god, I can't wait! I actually... It honestly looks really good. It, lo- yeah. it looks really good. It, you know, even with, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll kind of talk about our opinions of this movie, but yeah. yeah. It's really hard to tell from a trailer, but it looks like they're going for... They're, it looks like they're going full heartfelt, which I'm, I'm all about. I'd like to say that What's-His-Face's Adam Warlock looks yummy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm there for the plot. The plot of Doctor Strange is Benedict Cumberbatch. The plot of this movie is Peter Quill. And the plot of Guardians Volume 3 is Adam Warlock is Yum Yum. You know, normally normally (laughs) I agree with you on a lot of these, but uh, I don't see it. He's, not your type, not your type. No, he's just, he's very baby-faced. I don't, yeah, I don't see it. Oh, that could be it. That could be it. Yeah, what's what's the actor's name? Like, I know the actor. I'm trying to remember what his name is. Um, uh, Will Poulter. Will Poulter. Yeah, I like Will Poulter. I mean, I don't think he's yummy, but you know, <laughs> I, I like I like him as a performer. But yeah, I, I, I like agree. Will Poulter, yeah, you know, maybe he, it's the llama face. It makes it gives me warm memories of being back on the farm. Yeah, uh, maybe I want to shave him. Yeah, and yeah. turn his hair into <laughs> yarn. <laughs> this is getting creepy. I gotta stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the FBI is on their way to your house, Liz. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's let's go ahead and talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Uh, so spoilers are going to fully start here for Guardians Two. Uh, we have a bunch of gold people, but gold Oscar Academy Award people. You know, look, I'm just I'm just going to say right off the bat. Immediately, they, 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 they come, they complete this job of, you know, killing this, like, squid monster or, like, getting the thing back for these guys. And then, you know, Elizabeth Debicki's character, Princess Aisha, for no reason, just launches into this exposition about, here's what the sovereign people are all about. We're born of these bots. It's like, uh, we reproduce asexually, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like... Of all the ways they could have done that exposition, just having the character come out and say the exposition for no fucking reason, with no prompting. This is like just the beginning of the... De- like, I, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna go ahead and say I don't like this movie right off the bat. Oh. To me, like, to me, like, this was the beginning of it, like, of like, okay, like, what the fuck happened to the writing of this movie? And th- this, this don't is sugarcoat just the be- it. Yeah. This was just the beginning of it for me. Like, I was just like, all right. <laughs> You're not wrong, especially because, you know, I'm you know not going to say that I'm like anywhere near a decent or even competent or, you know, anything other than a pretty terrible writer. But it's still really easy to think of ways around that. Like, just have Quill flirt for a second. She'd be like, yeah, we don't do that. We, we, we're, yeah. we're out of birthing pods. Although that conversation in reverse would have been better. Yeah, there are ways to have had much of the same exposition more naturally woven into the same scene, but they didn't do that. They clearly just didn't feel it was important. This so much of the script feels like a first draft. That's honestly my problem. So much of the script feels like a first draft. I I really feel like like, did James Gunn just really rush this script compared to the first one? Like, because that's what it feels like to me when I watch this movie. Like, uh, well, he was pretty busy at this time. Yeah. Cheating on Marvel. Thankfully. I'm glad he cheated on Marvel. Oh, the Suicide Squad was definitely a better movie than this movie, I'll tell oh, you yeah. what. But... It was. <laughs> I actually genuinely enjoyed the Suicide Squad quite a bit, but this yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, this this intro was super awkward. Um the most I can say is that the sovereign people as a concept are kind of hilarious. Like the scene where we have them uh going to the uh world going to that uh, sort of leisure world with uh, ravagers and uh, having to walk on a literal blue carpet that they roll out and just their weird obsession of 
trying to be look and appear better than everyone else is kind of hilarious, but again, not executed super well at all, mostly due to the writing. Let's be honest for a minute. Let's be honest. A sequel is a son of a bitch. That's and true. Unless, and, and unless you're James Cameron, it's elusive to do a greater sequel than the first one. So sometimes you just sit down and you're like, what can I pull from the first one? And sometimes you're just like, how can I dazzle? What can I do to, to use a spectacle for my audience? And I think that James Gunn leaned into spectacle more than he leaned into anything. And I think he really paid more attention to this what's a real dad issue that he wanted to present in this film. Um, because we have sperm donor versus the, the man that actually raised him. And in the end, we have that, you know, two daddies, two issues thing. Um, and I think they really leaned into that and banked on the spectacle of the aliens and these odd worlds and space travel to really solidify, uh, this sequel. Well, and that's kind of my thing is like, I think the idea of this movie from the start, and this makes sense because they built this up, is is the idea of Peter Quill's father and the idea of his parent, like, like, and who is his father and who is his actual father versus his father figure. Yeah. I think that's what the movie is really about. The problem is, it's not just a Star Wars movie, it's about the Guardians of the Galaxy, so he just had yes. to, like, I guess I'll just have to give the other characters something to do. Something to do, yeah. And that's yep. my, that's actually the fundamental problem I have with this entire movie, is, like, yep. I feel like there's one decently strong character arc with Peter Quill and Yondu in this film, um, and I and I do think that ego does serve that that storyline well also. But I think yeah. everything else that's going on in this movie, the sovereign people are just kind of there. Yeah. Like I I, I they they're, they feel so disconnected from the rest of the plot too. And that's always also kind of the issue I have with it. It's like okay, they're there in the intro, and then they're kind of they, they're kind of an occasional nuisance that pops up throughout the movie. But they don't really have anything to do with anything else that's going on. Yeah. Um, the two strongest arcs are definitely Peter and Rocket, and Rocket's is still, yes, like notably a B plot, and everyone else is really, as you said, just kind of left by the wayside. I'm gonna be honest. I think that I think that this was written to originally be a trilogy, and I think that's what it comes down to is that the second one is always, always there to get a lot of exposition out of the way that you couldn't get out in the first movie. And I think they leaned into that, but I think that they should have went through and either done a lot of improv with the with the comedian actors that they had on, because everybody had their coaches, everybody, everybody on this cast are phenomenal. So had you let them take that dialogue and played around with it a bit, I think they would have found something that was much more interesting than you got instead of just screaming exposition. Because I do agree with you, Sam, that in the beginning, she's just kind of spitting out this uh, exposition and there's no reason unless the character is supposed to be awkward and very alien-like. But, but the other thing about it is how important is that exposition really? Yeah, I, guess right. it, exactly. I guess it comes back at the end with the Adam Warlock thing, maybe. But at the same time, it's like, they could just be a bunch of weird gold people. We don't really have to know all this stuff she's saying. You know, like... It was just a stoic very stiff plot device to get them talking about genetics so that Peter would think about where's my father at? What about my father? And then poof, just like we saw in Guardians of the Galaxy when Cassilius shows up right when they're talking about him, poof, his dad shows up when they're talking about his problems that he has with his dad. Yeah, just like yeah. in Doctor Strange, yeah? Yeah, Doctor Strange. Like, that's something I didn't even think about as a plot hole at the time, but the more I think about it, it's like, yeah, that's frustrating that we don't have any explanation for why ego found them right then yes um just when it's incredibly convenient for him to be found and he's already on the mind and we're already thinking about that actually a lot of the plot of this film is fairly meaningless coincidences uh coming together 
Um, or yes, at least completely. not well strung together coincidences coming together. I do like the intro. I like the fighting of the monster, uh, which is put down as a giant space sea monkey. That's officially what uh, what type of creature it is. Uh, it's a giant space sea monkey with all of those tentacles. Uh, so I I like that. I like the intro because it's very it's fun. When we first see Peter Quill, he's dancing and moving to music. And then they have this conversation about how important music is. But I see that as brotherly love from uh, from Rocket. There's this brotherly love that these two have, even whenever they're fighting over taking control of the plane and they keep taking it from each other and talking about who's the better pilot. I love that they they use that, and I think that should have been more forefront. I mean, I think that we got enough Rocket. I'm not saying we didn't. But I think that I want to know more, which is which they've listened to the fans about this movie. And in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, I feel like we're going to get a little more rocket. But I, I agree. I think that the intro with them fighting the sea monkey is fun. Like the, Even before that, the, I, I think that the, the intro intro with with the, the young Kurt Russell with Peter Quill's yeah. mom, I think I think that's a good intro to yeah. Ego. I like that we get to see, like, you know, John Carpenter era Kurt Russell. Yes. Again. You know, they actually did a good job I with love the that de-aging. Technology. I love yeah. yeah. I, I usually give shit to the de-aging, but th- this one was actually good. It was like, this really, one was well actually done. good. Yeah. But we would have to have, we would have to have that Tarkin technology fail a few times so that we could learn and get it right about the time that we do Kurt Russell. Because Kurt yeah. Russell's a pretty man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even well, old with, with Kurt Tarkin, Russell. With Tarkin, they were also working with the disadvantage that, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't actually have, like, an older Peter Cushing to base it on. Yeah. They were going off of an entirely separate actor True. to provide the performance. And then first reshaping that into Peter Cushing. And then... Yeah. You know, trying to make that is a realistic person. But yeah, I mean, Ego, the Living Planet. I, as much as I give shit to this movie, I do actually think that Ego is one of the stronger MCU villains in a lot of ways. Like I agree. He, he actually is memorable. He does have charisma. Kurt Russell does a great job. Kurt Russell as Chris Pratt's dad, like great, great casting. Yep. You know, like yeah, I, I, I like that that we get it flipped around. That like it, it, it seems like he's gonna be the father figure that that Peter always always wanted, but didn't <laughs> realize that he had in, in Yondu the whole time. But then that 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 flip that 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 switch gets flipped, and you realize how horrible Ego really is. And Ego yeah. is awful. He is absolutely awful it's in this film, but, he, but in, a, in a good villain kind of way. Yeah. I love that he feels like he's manipulated him enough, just enough to tell him that he killed his mother and thinks that he's going to join, thinks mm-hmm. that he's going to join. And he just automatically goes into six shooter shooting. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I really love that moment because, and uh, I mean, not, I'm not going to say that often in this film, I'll be honest, but. Anyhow, I really love that moment just of how quickly it's an it turn off switch. Like he was very yes. ready. Like he looked like he was hesitant, but he was willing to buy. It's like, okay, I'm going to have to leave my friends behind. Yeah, I really am that important. Okay, I get it. And then immediately it's like, yep, yeah, nope, fuck this guy forever. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's one of the best parts of the movie. Yes, I, yeah. I'll actually say that. Peter yeah. Quill may have two daddy issues, but the one thing that looms over those daddy issues is his mommy issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's a he's a mommy's boy. He's he a mommy's is. boy. He's, he's yeah. a mother's boy, and I can't blame him. Yep. Yeah. And he's right to do so. And the thing that makes him extra monstrous is also something that gives a little bit of pity is that he had sought his entire life looking for purpose. Mm -hmm. And he failed to realize that in falling in love with Peter's mother, he found he would have found his purpose. He would have found it. But he decided to go with his weird, egotistical, artificial purpose over the one that he naturally found i don't know i think he was in lust with peter quill's mother but i don't think he was in love with her because if he was in love with her yeah he would have stayed with her and i know he says that i had to kill her so that i wouldn't want to stay with her but who in love with someone thinks i gotta kill him so I can get on with my life. That's why he's monstrous. Is yeah. like and that's that's what I was saying. It's like it's that little bit of pity in that he almost 
could have been able to like work towards being a better person and redeem himself, but then he just doubled down on being the absolute fucking worst. Yes, it it reminds me of those true crime stories. It starts off, he was a great businessman. He did great by his family. He was always a great family man, but then he lost everything and he killed his family and himself so that his family wouldn't have to live in the shame. Come on. Come on, you don't love your family. You just killed them. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> I think the fundamental issue that I have with this movie, I, I, have, I have a lot of issues with this movie, but I think the main fundamental, like, even though Ego is a strong villain, and this is something that, that kind of, I, I think that I figured out a big reason why I don't like this movie is, Okay, I, I understand breaking away from formulas can be refreshing, but sometimes with superhero movies, formulas are kind of there for a reason. Yeah. And I think the problem with this movie is, even though it is somewhat predictable, I still think Ego's turn as a villain happens so late in the movie and that you don't really have a suitable stand-in threat before that. Yeah. That the movie just kind of goes and it doesn't really feel like it's about anything for most of it. Yeah. Like, there's there's a lack of an overarching threat. Like, I feel yes. like movies like this, you kind of need to have, like, a constant threat of some kind, of something that the heroes are trying to overcome the entire movie and I don't think that the Ravager mutiny is is really strong enough no. for that. Right. And I and I don't I think that the sovereign people d aren't a major enough presence in the movie to fill that role either. To be honest, I was thinking about that the same. I think that it's a good storyline, but I think that what would have upped the stakes is if they had a started out with what they were doing, but they got like a report that one of those plants bloomed early. And it's going yeah. off like popcorn. If the planets were starting to die off one at a time throughout the movie and they're trying to figure out why these different planets die and Ego is covering up and trying to entertain him this whole time. And then we have a reason why Ego has to go to sleep throughout the movie because he has to take a nap throughout the whole movie. You know, he's an old man. He has to Odin sleep. But why does he have to Odin sleep? Well, if he was killing planets one at a time... It would make sense. Well, and having like those other guardians, you know, like R Rocket Yondu and stuff like, having them like go and deal with that problem instead of yes. this whole other separate storyline, I yes. think would have. Because that's the problem. It's like the storylines feel so disconnected in this right. movie to yes. me. Is really the issue that I have with it. But that storyline, that storyline leads up to Guardians of the Galaxy three. So they were thinking a movie ahead. Yeah. But still, it took up too much time of the movie to lead up to three. Right. If you're going to uh, foreshadow a third movie and try to make it into a trilogy and try to follow the rules of the trilogy, then you need to give me something total. This planet problem would have been great. And then you foreshadow these batteries and these golden assholes throughout the movie, you know. It's one of those things where in film you can't steal from today to give to tomorrow. Yes. If you're building up for the next movie, great. But you still have to make and fulfill this film. For right now, yes. And ultimately, how much you build up for the next movie, like, you, it is possible to foreshadow a decent amount in the next film and, you know, hype up for it in the current one. That's definitely happened. But ultimately, if you have a trilogy and the second movie has no direct foreshadowing or hints, or at least none that you can tell at the time are foreshadowing hints for the third movie... That's still preferable if the second movie stands on its own. For instance, the Dark Knight trilogy and the Dark Knight itself has very little directly to do uh, with the third movie in the trilogy. Yeah. Um, or at least it has very little foreshadowing for that movie in the trilogy, but it stands on its own. And then the third movie is able to build on it and... Yeah, ultimately, again, you have to worry about the movie you're making right now and then build from there. Or if you are planning it all out ahead, then just make sure that you don't front load everything at the beginning at the end and you know leave everything out of the middle. And I do agree strongly that none of these plot lines felt connected. Rocket yeah. and Yondu were doing their own thing, uh, completely separate. Um, even Gamora and Drax's and Peter's storylines, despite all taking place on the same planet, they're still 
following up completely separate stories and leads and plots that are not in any way connected to each other except right at the very end when they tie them in and it's awkward when they do so it's it's not yeah. a very natural tie in at all yeah i think yondu does steal the, the entire movie though i think i think yondu's storyline is is the best storyline i think it he is has the, the here and arc. now yeah mm-hmm. yeah it is the here and now that monologue that monologue with rocket where he says i know everything about you it gets me every time it gets me every time and his story is that and it should have been embraced and i think that the plot of this will be the last time i bring it up until the until my last remarks but killing one planet at a time and having him explore that it even goes more towards him trying to stop ego at every step it even goes more towards I tried to stop that with Quill, and now I'm trying to stop that with Ego, because this guy is bad. Let me tell you how bad he is. I brought him some children of his, and when I found out what was going on, I just realized this dude has to be stopped at every moment. Well, that would have been great, because that would have been Yondu trying to atone for his past and like really actively taking agency over his storyline, because as much as I love Yondu's storyline, for a lot of the the, the first and middle part of this movie, he's kind of just reacting to things that are happening to him. Yep. I'm just reacting to the fact that my crew just mutinied against me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it would have been stronger if it had been like... You know, even with it, that scene with Stallone at the beginning, you know, after he feels that shame of having been exiled from the Ravagers, it's like, okay, I have to atone for what I did. Yes. I have to stop Ego a- any way that I yes, can stop if Ego. if he had started hunting him then. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, I think that, you know, whatever entertain. I personally actually don't find the plot that entertaining or interesting at all. But whatever people, whatever entertainment people found in the mutiny subplot, like, they should have just cut that entirely i found very little i don't, I don't like the mutiny the, part of the, the movie entire at all. subplot yeah even the jokes around what's his name taser face just cut the whole damn thing it's... i think larger stakes for the mutiny would have been better yeah you know they already had these tensions and it was horrible it was that mutiny was horrible all those bodies out there that mm-hmm. were frozen to death and tortured before they were thrown it was horrible and scary and it shows you how horrible taser face is taser yeah. face <laughs> but it doesn't fit it comes from left field no but it would have been stronger like i i actually i'm not even gonna completely agree with that because like i i also don't like the mutiny subplot although i do actually love the taser fa- the taser face thing the is taser hilarious face, yeah. <laughs> i love i love like that that to me like there's to be honest a lot of the jokes do kind of fall flat in this movie but everything <laughs> with taser face just makes me laugh every time right. i think it's hilarious i but... think it was just missing something to up that stakes to but make yeah, that mutiny the stakes, happen the stakes of the mutiny if they had mutinied against him because he's trying to go and stop ego they're risking their ship they're risking their lives for something that'll make them no profit at all Yes. As opposed to just being like that would have been a reason we're not making as much pirate money as we could it just feels petty yeah it just it, it, it feels very flimsy so you're right there, there really were ways like again the script needed a lot more drafts honestly it's like yeah I, it, like there are ways in which all these different storylines they could have ultimately told the same story but it could have felt a lot more connected could have pulled you know? the ravagers in too oh yeah like having them show up at the funeral was nice but having them actually show up as maybe on all these planets when the expansion is going off, we realize, yes. hey, the Ravagers finally realize that Yondu is trying to help out, and so they're using their massive armada to evacuate people. I honestly believe had they put this script through one more draft, they would have found that connection. I honestly do believe that. It's very possible, yeah. James Gunn, if you're listening to this, it's not too late to make the uh, the J- James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> Volume 2. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2.1. It's like, wait, this, I think, I'm pretty sure this is pretty much his cut. Uh, <laughs> this, your new gun cut. <laughs> God damn it. I'm not saying you need to film all of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 again with the new draft, but but, uh, <laughs> you could. <laughs> yeah. But no, but, but, but again, even with those criticisms, Yondu's storyline, he has by far the most compelling plotline. I in the agree. Movie. By far the most compelling plotline. And 
I'd say a lot of the, the quote-unquote emotional scenes in this movie honestly fall pretty flat to me, except when it comes to Yondu, and especially, like, his death at the end, his funeral. Like, that's the one part of the movie where it's like, I still do, this movie doesn't get to me as much as certain scenes from the, from the first Guardians, but those parts do actually land pretty well. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Yondu parts, his death, his sacrifice that he makes, I think it ultimately does actually work really well. Yeah. yeah. And... There's a tendency in this film, and it comes back in a bad way in, in Ragnarok. I know it was different directors, but it was, it was a tendency that happened in the MCU for a while that was a problem where sometimes they'd have an emotional moment and try and undercut it with humor. There's one moment in this film I really love the reversal of because it's funny, but then they do the reverse of undercutting with humor and... You know, it actually becomes a really touching moment when they're floating down and Yondu's holding the arrow and he looks like Mary Poppins. Like, oh, who's Mary Poppins? Is he cool? And I just, I love that moment of Peter realizing and saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mary Poppins is cool. And it's funny, but <laughs> the reason it works is that it is also heartfelt. Yeah, yes. that was actually a really nice yeah. moment. That was, it's, it's funny, but it is actually, it's, it's a, that good mix of both. Yeah. When he says he's cool. He's not really referring to Mary Poppins. He's referring to his dad that he's looking up to right now. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I fall for Yondu and Quill's moments that they have in this movie, not because of this movie, but because of the way they set it up in the first one. Volume one tenderly sets up that Yondu gets aggravated with his kid, and he really wants to spank that tank tank, but... His kid is going to do what his kid does, and he's not going to let any harm come upon his kid because he does see Quill as his kid. Yeah, and this is where we, we fully, like, we start to maybe suspect that in the first movie yeah. with the fact that Yondu does keep coming up with these reasons not to kill Quill yes. the entire movie. Mm -hmm. But then we, we, we get that confirmation. It's like, yeah, this is actually what this relationship is. And and, and Quill doesn't even realize that until the end. Yeah. That uh, how much Yondu actually really does care about him. And he doesn't realize how much he really cares about Yondu until the end in a lot of ways. I honestly know? believe that the whole thing with the mutiny, I think that when someone questioned him about Quill, he would have shot them dead and then looked towards everybody else and been like, is there any more questions about Quill or anything else? Well, to be honest, and this is a bit, you know, maybe you could say that it's contrived screenwriting or whatever, but like, I think that they were saying, I think he was on the verge of doing that. And then Nebula shoots that fin off yeah. his head, you know, yeah. is, is kind of what happens, but I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Nebula has a decent little arc in this she movie. Does. I, she I like does. That, that she I has, love she Nebula in this arc. Yeah. Yeah. That other family arc is beautiful. The way that they were brought up by this horrible, tyrannical being, Thanos, seeing Gamora admit that she was wrong and admit that she didn't realize what was going on, that she didn't think about her younger sister and that she apologized, I think it's huge. But when when Nebula saves Gamora and then she's just like, oh, get over it. <laughs> it's just so beautiful because you see that softer side of Nebula. And that's really what she did want is the love of a sister. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to see, like, that moment you're talking about is totally a, a sister, a sister's kind of yes. moment, you know? It's a very sisterly moment between them. It's, it's the first time that we really see genuine kind of warmth and humor between them yes. of they're they're starting to to repair that relationship that was so just messed up by by they're, they're just both so fucked up by by thanos and by yes. that abusive upbringing uh i would also like to point out drax's subplot of his nipples <laughs> ah my nipples <laughs> just... now, now, that, now that you brought that up i'm just gonna talk about drax in this movie for a second yeah. because drax maybe my favorite character from the first movie i think they realized what a fan favorite funny character he was and leaned way too hard into it and they just made him he's just a goofball in this movie which yep. he was not in the first one like he really wasn't so like, much of his original humor was based on the fact that he had no humor yes um, that he was incredibly self-serious even, you know, in moments when he was a bit of an idiot or when he was taking things too literally and that was fun. 
But also it meant that when he had more serious moments, they still felt consistent. And this movie, yeah, he's just a big himbo goofball who's laughing all the time and joking all the time. It doesn't work at all. I feel differently. I feel differently. I see it as the arc that they gave Data, except they had to cram it into a few movies. You know, he's in this movie, he's trying to grasp what a joke is. I, my favorite moment, my favorite moment is when Mantis gets hit in the head by that flaming boulder and she's knocked out and then he goes, watch out, Mantis! But see, that moment didn't feel, that moment did feel bad because that was actually funny, but that, that felt like a, a consistent moment yeah, for Drax. Like, yeah. He just, he just reacted like yeah. a, two seconds too late but, type yeah. of thing, you know? A lot of the, a lot of the other stuff, yeah, I could see why people are complaining that they lean too far into the, the shenanigans of Drax and him yeah. trying, but I felt like it was like Data. He's now found this humor thing and he enjoys it and he wants to playing around with it. Well, I, I think D- Data's arc, Data's arc was a lot more organic, but like I you also admit like, like it's also because they had 7 seasons of TV and 4 yeah, movies right, and yeah. Film Data. Yeah. And, but like, I feel like if that's what they're going for, they it shouldn't have been that much of an extreme. It should have yeah. been a more subtle change and then, you know, like have him be a little bit more along that line with yeah. each movie type of thing. I get that argument. Like, there are moments that work with him. Like, even there are even humorous moments that do work with him. Like, I actually do really like his his friendship with Mantis that builds up. I think it is yeah. actually kind of sweet, and it, they, they have a nice little dynamic. I like him talking to, to Peter, like, giving him woman advice. Like, you just need to find someone who is pathetic, like you. <laughs> like, that, that felt, like, consistent with Drax it to did. me. It like, did. you know, like, yeah. Yeah, so there, there were moments that were like, yeah. I, I deeply love, you know, what he's described, like, until he, you know, starts going into the Engorge and others, but even that. I love <laughs> what he's talking about, you know, his tribe dancing around. It's like, and then my wife stood there, not moving a muscle at all. <laughs> I think she was dead. <laughs> it made my nether regions engorge. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> so it, it's got moments, but yeah, they they leaned way too hard in the goofball with him. It's it's one of my biggest problems with the movie. Yeah. Um, I I like the introduction of Mantis. I, I think do. Mantis is actually a really fun character. I agree. I, I really like the introduction of Mantis. She's fun. You know, I, I do like her dynamic with Drax as well. They they work really well together. They, you know, have the very innocent, uh, calm, empathic character, you know, alongside the extremely violent, straightforward character as well. It, it Yeah. They both have an earnestness to them um, that makes their scenes together really, like, interesting and dynamic. Yeah. She still kind of feels like she's in this movie because we needed to have Mantis in this movie and not because we actually had an organic way to get her in here, if that makes sense. I agree. I think tying her in with Ego was smart, but at the same time, she doesn't really fill that much of a purpose in this movie, but she's still a welcome addition to, to the team. I, I like she that is. she's on the team now. Absolutely, you know? yeah. I, I, I love her. I love her on the team, and, you know, seeing her in later stuff, especially that um, holiday special where she really gets the starring role is fantastic. She was great in that. Actually, she and Drax actually worked really well in that. Yeah, I, I yeah, that was actually good. Kind of going back to the mutiny subplot, like, I, again, I, I just feel like, I, I understand the idea of, of Rocket's arc in this movie of, you know, kind of learning how to not push people away and stuff like that. I just, there's just something about his whole storyline that just felt very, like, filler episode of a TV show type thing, if that makes sense. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not even really a big fan of his story. I, I love Rocket. I'm just not a big fan of his storyline in this movie just because... It feels so throwaway and and just kind of pointless to me, but... I could see that argument. I really can. They just make the triangle face bear whatever jokes. It's pretty funny. And that he's still trying to figure out who he is. But really, it's him and Groot that we... You know, we're seeing a little bit of of that. But I, I think they really pull out... I do think that they really pull him out with Yondu. The Rocket Yondu, and that's the thing, like, I actually, I, that didn't even occur to me, Liz, but when you were saying that you feel like there, there should have been the overall, like, the threat of, like, the planets falling and them having to investigate that, 
I think there really is a version of this that could have worked so much better because yeah. like I I do really like the Yondu rocket dynamic and the fact yeah. that they do find these parallels with each other. It's just the execution of it just feels too disconnected and it, it, does. it does feel it does feel like this kind of obligatory well we have to give something to do to the other characters, so let's give Rocket this arc. Let's, yeah. you know, like type of thing, like just, just, to, just almost just to fill out time until we can get to the climax is what it feels like to me. You know, that's ultimately my biggest issue with the movie is that most of the plots in the film, including the Rocket and Yondu arc, felt like they were just filler to get to the end of the film. That was my big problem: is that the film only really felt like it was tied together and on top of what it was trying to do in the climax. And yeah, that was, that was a big issue. I think the problem with this movie is, and the first movie and the third movie, I think the problem is that you had the same two writers and the same director. There was no mix up with the writers. I think that they could have brought on another writer or something like that to give it fresh blood because, uh, I'm sure what happened is James Gunn had an idea for the first one, an idea for the second one, and an idea for the third one. And I'm going to use Star Wars as an example. I'm sorry. I didn't like Attack of the Clones. I didn't like Empire Strikes Back. And I did not like, I did not like The Last Jedi until I saw the third of those trilogies. And then I actually started to appreciate each one of those second parts. I feel like that's going to happen with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I think what's going to happen is we're going to see the continuation of all of these subplots that we've seen pop up in this movie that we want answers to come to a denouement in Volume 3. And I think then we can then we can uh, enjoy volume two better than we can better than we have so far, because there's our minds are still wondering, why did they do this? Why did they do this? And when you make a third one, you are able to connect things that did not hit correctly that's a good point Liz, and I, I do think it's possible that if Guardians three really knocks it out of the park. And, and delivers on a lot of the things that were set up in this movie. It could make this movie better in hindsight. I still maintain, even with that, that they still could have told the same story with the same subplots and just tied everything together within this movie yes. much better than they I did. Agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And that's that's really the issue with this movie, for sure. I, I do agree, but that's the excuse that I'm giving this movie, um, yeah. is that it's always supposed to have been two of three, and two, it, it has to fill a lot of exposition. But my biggest complaint about the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy uh, and their overarching thing is I still don't have a Howard the Duck motherfucking movie, and I want a Howard the Duck motherfucking movie. <laughs> yeah, he has shown up in two of these films so far. I know! And I just need the reveal in the third movie is that he was important this whole time, and he becomes a full-fledged member of the Guardians. I would be happy. However long they last, even if it's just I to want the a Howard the, third the Duck movie. movie. Just... How'd that be the surprise? It's like, surprise. It's all about Howard the Duck. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Any thoughts on the climax? Visually pretty cool, but I find myself getting weirdly glazed over when I I get to the climax of this one. That's my thought, is you have this big fight between Ego and Peter, but like even in the script, it's kind of acknowledged. It's like, the fight don't matter. It's a it's a distraction. None of this matters. Yeah. All that matters is them being able to set off the bomb, which is delayed for a number of really like it's not even the villains are delaying them. This just feels really arbitrary as to why this fight's not over yet. The brain at the center of the world pulsating all these different colors. I thought that was pretty fucking awesome. That's the graphics, say, like you said, Sam. cool visuals. Yeah, really like you cool said, visuals. Sam, it, yeah. is, it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is fun. It is very much like a video game. I want to Star Fox this bitch. I want to fly through there and shoot shit. But at the same time, at the same time, let's be honest... It falls short. It does fall short. And it's really cool to see this wizard duel. It's cool to see that, that Pac-Man come in and then the, the, the punch, the Andross the hand come through and knock yeah. out Pac-Man. I, I have to give it its due. It's fun. Yep. Uh, and it's entertaining in the moment. 
but it does fall short. Oh, yeah. I can't see it playing out any other One way. One nitpick that I have with the writing, and it goes to a moment that I actually really like, is when Yondu tells Peter, do you think that when, when Peter's saying that I, I, I was only able to make a ball with the energy, it's like, do you really think that I use my head when I'm yeah. using that arrow? I actually don't like that later on they have Yondu say, I use my heart to control the arrow. It's like, yeah. that was already applied. That yeah. was already applied effectively. I think he didn't need to explicitly say that. You know, like... <laughs> if he needed to say that line, then really what he needed to say was, remember, it's not my head that I use. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. It's already that right applied. there. Yep. That, again, would have been better writing. Draft. At least one more draft. Yes. At least one more draft. Yeah. And then also, uh, you know, speaking of m- moments of humor undercutting dramatic beats, like... I really enjoyed it the first time I watched the movie, j- just from a humor standpoint, but I've really come to feel that the moment where we find out that Ego killed Peter's mother, I think is immediately undercut by that David Hasselhoff cameo. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. be honest. Like, it is, it is, like it, it is funny, but I feel like that wasn't really the moment to put that joke in. No. Yeah. To be honest. Like, like, <laughs> later on, after, during their big fight scene where they're, yeah. where he's already, like, shifting himself about and, you know, doing all this crazy stuff, that's where you have him give the complaint and have the Hasselhoff cameo. But right then and there, you just let the moment land. Just let it breathe. Yeah. Can I also say that my biggest nitpick of this movie is that Peter Quill has had these has had these abilities his whole life and he hasn't tapped into them. Let's be honest, because Peter Quill is Han Solo. Mm-hmm. Peter Quill is Han Solo. That's the way they portray him in these in these films. I think that Han Solo is for, force sensitive, and I think that he uses the force to get out of a lot of things. But if Peter Quill had the ability to use these powers, I think we should have seen these powers develop faster. I know him holding an Infinity Stone is impressive, but we should have seen a little more than being able to hold an Infinity Stone in his arc up to this point, especially if he can make these this happen. I think the first movie, they didn't really have an idea of exactly how that was going to go about. Yeah. Um, so they, that's the reason we didn't have an explosive view of it. In this movie, actually, now that I think about it, I just complained about this earlier, about we don't know why you know, so all of a sudden, Ego was able to find him, um, find out exactly yeah. where he is. It would have been perfect if during that fight with the giant monster, instead of, you know, having Gamora go in at the last second, we have, say, Peter trying to think of a creative solution, and all of a sudden, he unleashes some light ability, and he yes. and everyone else is very confused. Yes. They take the win, but they're very confused about how they won exactly, and yes. that's how we learn Ego found out about it, because the light flared up in exactly. Peter uh, so I'm, I'm sorry, I, I might I might have misunderstood the movie and you can correct me if I'm wrong but I thought that Peter only has those powers when he's on the living planet of Ego that's no. where they come from but so the as idea long as is that Ego is alive he yeah. has the powers and that's he says, what charges them like he, yeah that's what charges them the is movie. where he gets the full extent of his abilities but we see yeah. Ego, like, using those abilities outside, that's how he destroys the first uh, Sovereign Fleet, is while riding his ship, um, is using those abilities. So they can be done off of the planet, but it, they need to be fully charged on the planet. That's the source of those abilities. Yeah. Th- that could be a hint right there that, you know, obviously he only has a little bit of the powers by himself. Yeah. But that they are there. And... Who knows? Yes. That might even be something to bring back in Guardians. We'll, we'll find out. No, if... because they killed it. They did, but he has the genes. Yeah, he explained that if he dies, if Ego dies, if that planet dies, that he's lost that power. And I, I just think that it was a complete waste to give him that power in half of a movie and not not scratch the surface on that but you're right. Having him, having him do something by accident in that first fight would have been would have yeah. been a great write-in. Even even just a tiny little flare that indicated it's like, oh yeah, by yourself you Once could only Once again, one more draft. Yeah, one more draft and say, by yourself, you're only capable of a little bit, but when you're back on my world and you have me helping you, you can do all these amazing things. 
Now, what would have really tied the stories in together is if he accidentally did something, killed the creature, that planet has one of Ego's seeds in it, and it sets that seed off to take down that planet. And that would have even explained at the end of the movie, like, the reason he could use those powers at all, the reason they were able to flare up is he's near a bit of Ego. Yeah. See, that was, see, cause that was what I was going to say. It's like, even if he can use the, the, the powers off the planet, like, I, I still would buy the idea that the reason that he's not able to is because he hasn't been, that he has to go to the planet first in order to, yes. like, get those powers to begin right. with. But if there was a and seat then, there. And then he can then take it off yeah, world right. if he can't take it but, off world. Yeah, if, he, if by any chance, like, they pass by a seed and they're just like, oh, that's a flower. I haven't seen anything else like this on this planet. And... That's where he gets the temporary yes. ability to flare up, and that's how Ego finds him. And then later on, he gets the full abilities, and then it all dies when Ego dies. Yes. Like, that I would have bought. Again, that I would have bought. Yeah. One more draft could have figured all of that out. I do think it's kind of dumb and cheesy when they play catch with the, the energy ball in that one part. Like, <laughs> you know, like, it is dumb and cheesy, but that one issues. I buy. That one for me is like the fun kind of dumb cheesy. It's like, oh, I get it. I don't know. That's that's what there's a certain amount of dumb and cheesy that is just dumb and cheesy and no one enjoys. And there's a certain degree that is actually kind of enjoyable. And for me, it falls in that latter category, but I can see, I can see not enjoying it. So many people left that theater going, I got to call my dad. I want to play energy ball with him. <laughs> it just felt like I, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like that part at all. And like, to me, they basically just like, again, it goes down to lazy writing of like, okay, what's a way that we could show a son bonding with his father for the first time? Let's have a play catch. Like the most cliche, obvious fucking thing you <laughs> yeah. could think of. The reason I like it is that Ego is not actually a good dad. And so his idea of parenthood, of fathership, is just the cliches. It's all yes. the big surface level stuff. Because like there's no playing feeling energy there. ball catch. But he didn't teach peter he didn't wasn't there for them didn't stick up for him didn't help him yondu handled all the real fatherhood stuff yeah and he really didn't care about peter he just needed him to kick off his energy he needs peter as a battery and that's that's why it works for me is it is the cliche it's what peter might think a dad is supposed to do but it is just manipulative I, did, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the execution of it, but I can see those points, you know. I, 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 I can understand that. I mean, I I think the stronger scene with the two of them kind of quote-unquote bonding is when Ego was kind of teaching him the wrong lesson from from that from, from the song Brandy of, like, right. the thing you need to realize in life is, you know, it's like, you know, people come and go, but really it's all about the, the love of the sea. You can't be tied down. You got to get, you know, whatever. It's like <laughs> it's like being, being, being taught completely the wrong lesson, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I like that scene. I, I don't really like the catch scene, but I like that scene personally. I get but. that, yeah. And as far as other action scenes, um, I did really enjoy the arrow scene. Like, it's just inventive and a fun scene, even if it is a lot of murder. (laughs) (laughs) They have it coming. Yeah, with the mutiny. Honestly, I mean, yeah, I mean, those guys were... were, They they were dicks. They had it coming. Like, chucking those guys into space, you know? It's like, I I really... I I didn't have any sympathy for any of those guys at that point. They did all have it coming. It's an inventive sequence. I was thinking in just a couple of days, though, they killed his whole crew. Yep. He had that whole large crew, and half the crew killed the other half of the crew, and then he was like, you motherfuckers, yep. and he killed everybody but one person. So, yeah, I, I don't blame him because if he did, because they committed mutiny, and if he didn't be harsh with them, they would do it again. Yep, exactly. And while the scene is padding, there is the one moment with uh, little Groot that I love, <laughs> um, when he's getting the stuff and then he just brings back a toe and they just stare at him. <laughs> like, uh, you don't you don't have any toes about do that you? Was, that like, was actually fun. The baby Groot <laughs> stuff in general works in this movie. It did. Yes. Yeah. I will say I like the stuff with baby Groot. I even do the like because like I, I, I do think that that scene 
where he's bringing back all the wrong stuff. That was actually a good setup for the button thing of like, it was. you know, ba- Baby Groot, he's not, he's not quite, he doesn't quite ever understand exactly what's going yeah. on. He has a very, t- he, he knows when somebody wants him to do something, he just has a hard time understanding oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. the, these specific directions, you know, like. Every parent can connect with that because I'll tell you, I'll tell one of my kids, give me that blue pin right there. No, the blue pin. No, that's not a pin. No, that's not blue. Oh, never mind. I'll get it myself. (laughs) This movie, I think, could have done a better job of showing the Guardians as a family. There are one or two joke sequences that I think actually do a good job of that. One is... Like, everyone being on the same board about the roots not being ripe yet. It's like, no, it's not ripe. Don't eat it. Yes! <laughs> and then she bites it and spits it out. Yeah. Not ripe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then that scene right before, you know, when he's doing the bomb where he asks if he could get some scotch tape. And we just hear Peter in the background, like, asking everybody. It's like, hey, do you have scotch tape on you? Or do you have tape on you? Drax, do you have tape on you? Yeah, scotch tape would work. Then why'd you ask me if scotch tape would work? <laughs> yeah, that's great. You can totally imagine, imagine Drax is like, would scotch tape work? No, I don't have that. <laughs> like that, those feel like actual family moments and are also yes, just Yes, know, yes. <laughs> then why'd you ask if scotch tape would work? <laughs> did, you, did you ask Nebula? Uh, yeah, I asked Nebula. Are you sure you asked Nebula? I, I think I did. He knows he did not ask Nebula. <laughs> well, she was sitting right next to Drax, and I asked Drax when she was there, so I imagine if she had tape, she would have said something, you know, whatever. <laughs> Are you sure you asked Nebula? I think I did. Oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> so I know that we all really enjoy, the, the, the and I do too, like we all really enjoy the, these mid-credits and post-credits scenes in these movies as kind of teases and extra jokes, but like, I just gotta say, this movie has five five credit scenes <laughs> too much after a too certain much. point it's fucking it's fucking ridiculous yeah. like did this movie need five like what <laughs> and i think the worst part of it is that a solid four out of five of these scenes that are all like teasing something or hinting towards the future four out of five of them have no payoff so far whatsoever yeah. in the MCU. Now, to be fair, based on the trailers, it looks like they are all going to be paid off at least a little bit in Guardians 3, but I find it impressive that in the five end credit scenes, not only one of them was even semi-relevant to the near future, and that was Teenage Groot, and that's only semi-relevant because it just tells you in the next movie he's going to be a teenager. Yeah. Yeah, it is it is amazing how little they managed to pay off any of those five immediately. And I'm like, what? why? Why did you do this? I don't know why we had to go back to the Stan Lee one, but it was Stan Lee, so, you know. Well, that's the thing. It's like, we already did, we already had the joke with Stan Lee talking to the yeah. Watchers. Like, we already did that. It's like, but like, that credit scene was basically just repeating that same joke again. It, I it was. Like. It, yeah, we didn't, we didn't really need that one again. I do like the weird implication that it's like, okay, so... All the Stanley cameos are actually the same person. Just yeah, that was actually fun. That was actually yes. good. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, the ones I would have kept, maybe would have kept the Stallone one and and the Adam Warlock one. Right. Those yeah. are like the two that I would have kept. I would have cut the, the other. I would have cut all three of the other ones. Yeah. Those. Yeah. I I, I think that most of these. Honestly, either the Kraglin learning to use Yondu's arrow or the Sakar. With with the I guess the OG Guardians team I would have kept one of those two. Yep, I would have kept one of those yeah. two. But I and and then the Adam Warlock I would have kept. But I enjoyed I enjoyed the the Kraglin uh, learning uh, Yandu's arrow. It was just hilarious. But it was just a joke. It is. Yeah. I really like Kraglin. Well, it's it's just a joke, but it also does set up that Kraglin is going to be using that arrow going yes. forward. Yeah, I like what they did with Kraglin in this movie. I I, I he has a, a expanded role in this and I, I like that even though he does kind of unwittingly start the mutiny and then is later regretful about it I I, I think that he actually does work well in this his scenes in the movie and I'm 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 glad that it kind of looks like he is also sort of a part of the team now going forward. So yeah, just the way Drax was screaming, my dad would stub his toe or something like that, something <laughs> stupid, and he would just scream for minutes and minutes, and you'd be like, "Calm down, Buttercup." 
Walking off. <laughs> and the way Drax was just screaming. He just got shot with an arrow. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're ready to go into our overall thoughts and our score of one out of ten. Zach, I'll go ahead and let you start. Yeah, as we as we made it clear, this is one of the weakest films in the MCU. Uh it certainly needed another draft. And most of the movie, frankly, felt like it was just kind of padding out time to get to its climax with that said it's fun um it has it has a few fun moments um some of them are undercut a lot of the jokes don't land but a few of them are you know really funny and memorable so this isn't the worst film ever it is just considerably weaker than most of its contemporaries and certainly much much weaker than the first film um, the first Guardians of the Galaxy. I still had a good time. You know, it's still a movie that, you know, if it's on, you know, I'll enjoy watching it. But yeah, it's it's not very strong at all. So I do give it about a five out of ten. Pretty much agree. Yeah, it's it's much, much weaker compared to the first one. But the first one is honestly one of the best movies of the MCU. And I'm just going to say straight up, I, I don't think the MCU has made a straight up bad movie. But... I think this is the closest thing it's come. This is definitely my least favorite MCU movie. Like, in my ranking, I put this one dead last, personally. Uh, Even counting ones that have come out after this. Like, I mean, we've already reviewed it, but, like, I I actually really liked Eternals. Like, I know that that's one that a lot of people didn't like, but I I actually really like that movie. But this one, yeah, I, I do put this one dead last. I think a lot of the humor does fall flat. Some jokes do land. I actually do really like the taser face stuff. I thought that was actually hilarious, but... That whole subplot just was like all of the the different plot lines are just too disconnected. And there's there's a lack of urgency. There's a lack of stakes for most of the movie up until the end. The end of the movie has stakes because it's like, you know, galaxy wide stakes or whatever. But there's a lack of stakes up until that point. And as a result of that, I feel like the movie just awkwardly meanders from scene to scene without too much purpose for most of it. And that's my my ultimate problem with it. It's still entertaining enough, but I agree. I'll give it a 5 out of 10. Thor Ragnarok was one of my favorites uh, MCU for the longest time. And it brought the humor that the Guardians of the Galaxy brought. But the difference is that it was written in a way to connect things. And they did that extra draft. They did that improv to bring storylines together in Thor Ragnarok. They didn't do that in Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy is fun. It's a simple formula used for it. So it's it's open to kids and, and many other watchers. That's the reason why they oversimplified everything. But I do think that one more draft of the script would have brought us a more complex but simple uh formula and story because i think they had two they had two main stories going on that could have been part of the same story and i think that's where they fell at in guardians of the galaxy they should have went back and looked at a way to kind of twist it all together for one big story raising the stakes I get that complaint whenever i hear that i've got to watch this movie or whenever i pass by it I enjoy it. It's not like I, I'm i like, oh, God, i got to watch Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I didn't think that whenever we decided that we were going to watch it. I was like, oh, goody. I love that movie. And I do. It's fun. It really is a comic book movie. That scene where they they try to come in and take out Rocket and Rocket explodes them and you see the bodies go up above the the forest in the night sky it's so comic book you know comic book e if that sounds better and that's why i enjoy it so even with all of its flaws i have fun watching it and it's something that i will watch over and over again so i'm gonna give it even with all its flaws i'm gonna give it an eight out of ten yeah no that's totally fair all right, having said all of that, Zach, where can the folks find you? Folks can find me on the Facebook as Zachariah Schneider. They can also find me on my personal site of Zachariah-Schneider-Personal.HerokuApp.com. Liz, where can the folks find you? The Liz Tory, L-Y-Z-T-O-R-Y, on all social media. You can find my uh, live stand-up show, The Non-Binary Preacher's Kid Presents. I know that's a mouthful. This month, I have Tig Notaro. So, May 20th, come out and see me. Pretty cheap tickets, $30 to see Tig, and it's only 100 
a hundred seat auditorium and you can catch some of my films at meadowwolfstudios.com come watch some of my comedy i'm sam wilson you can follow me on instagram at sc wilson underscore actor you can follow my punk band gas station boner pills at the band of boners on instagram or just under gas station boner pills on facebook search all music platforms for gas station boner pills and you can follow nerd shit at the nerd shit pod on all social medias facebook instagram tiktok and twitter all at the nerd shit pod we release episodes every single week so make sure that you're subscribed to us anywhere you listen to your podcast we are on all podcast platforms so hit that subscribe button leave us a star rating leave us a review up next we're going to be reviewing indiana jones and the temple of doom in preparation for indiana jones and the dial of destiny so we're going to be on an indiana jones kick for a while after that so definitely excited to, yes definitely excited to uh step back into that world such a such a fun franchise he belongs in a museum <laughs> Don't say that about Harrison. (laughs) (laughs) For Zach Schneider and Liz Torrey, I'm Sam Wilson. Thank you for joining us for Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Stay shitty, nerds. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit.